welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. What a privilege and so wonderful to see Sam and Rachel after, I think we worked out eight or nine years since we last saw each other and just wonderful to see what God's doing and uh, how he's using their lives. We love that. Um, <clears throat> so you can hear from my accent that I'm not British. Um, we were born and raised in South Africa. We've lived on four continents, traveled around the world. Um, we have two children, um, Anna, who lives in North Carolina with her husband and children. So that's even more important, our two grandchildren. And, um, and then a son who lives in California. And Paul and I have now been married for 44 years this year. So... Um, so we, we've just journeyed with Jesus and loved our journey. I've brought some copies of my book, um, Wild Hope. It's actually a memoir, and um, I called it Wild Hope because I, I use that word hope very deliberately, not in the sense of hope as wishful thinking, you know, you hope, you wish something will happen, but hope in the sense of Hebrews 11 where it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And our lives have been so colored by that hope. Um, this, this faith is the substance of things hoped for. And there have been many, many times in our lives where situations have seemed absolutely impossible. And God has come into that situation and made the impossible possible. And this book is filled with those stories. And one of those stories is the story about my son, who a number of years ago had a very, very terrible motor car accident. And he was actually dead at the scene of the accident. He was a G3 for any of those that are in the medical profession. No breathing, no pulse, no visible sign of life. Ruptured aorta, ruptured spleen, ruptured liver. Just a rib went through his heart, a rib went through his lungs. Um, just every imaginable injury. And they told us they'd never seen anyone with worse injuries in their hospital because they just never survive. And that was a long, dark, dark night for us where doctors told us every day, say goodbye, Jay can't make it through the night. And that story's in there amongst other stories, a, a miraculous story of God intervening and coming into that hospital and giving us our son back. And so that's just one of the stories, a story of how God led us to where we are today um, at Trinity Bible College, a little bit about when we were at Madison, just stories from Africa, wonderful stories of faith. So if you know anybody that needs encouragement, that's looking for hope in their lives, that book is um, full of hope stories. And I believe they're out there, they go for 10 pounds a piece and... Um, I only brought 10 with me, so I'd be happy to sign your copy if, if you'd like me to. But I'm here to preach God's word, and I love doing that. So if you have your Bibles, I'm reading from um, Acts chapter 12, the 12th chapter of Acts. Am I holding this thing okay? Okay. Just checking. Acts chapter 12, I'm going to read... Um, I'm going to try and get through this, otherwise I'll fill in little details. It was about this time that King Herod, and I'm reading from verse 1, 
was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. I love this story. It is an amazing story of God's intervention. Now, if you know anything of the Bible, you will know that the Herods were very cruel. It was Herod the Great who had all the babies put to death when Jesus was born. Um, and now this Herod is Herod Agrippa, and he's the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And they were just a cruel family. Herod the Great had killed some of his sons. He had his wife put to death. This was a very, very cruel family. And Herod wanted to carry the favor of Jewish people. So when he saw that killing James had pleased the Jewish people, he thought, well, I'll do a little bit more. And he had Peter arrested with the intention of killing Peter. I, I just think what an amazing story. Because in the story, Herod is, he's in control. He's in control. He is triumphing in this moment. He, he's carrying the Jewish favor, the favor of the, the particularly the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's going to have Peter put, he couldn't do anything during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but after that he was going to have Peter executed. And um, the church have been devastated by James's death, and so now they're gathered together and they are praying. 
So I want to look at this passage that we've just read, and I hope that when you get home, you'll spend some time looking at it because there's a lot of truth in it. The first thing I want you to note, and, and it sounds a little bit trite saying this, but prayer is the most powerful weapon we have. It is the most powerful weapon we have. There is no weapon that is more powerful. I mean, Herod had the power of the sword, and we all know what the power of the sword can do. And I know that God can do things without our prayers, but it, it interests me here that it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying for Peter. God needed the prayers of his people to release Peter. God could do it without their prayers, but God wanted the church to pray. And so I just, I, I love the fact that we see the importance of prayer. And we, you know, we live in a time where I think some of our political leaders think that they hold the world in their own power. Let me tell you, the world is not held together by Washington or Downing Street, or the Kremlin, or the Hague, or anywhere else for that matter. God holds all things together in his power. Says he is before all things, Paul said in Colossians, and in him all things hold together. And so, you know, when things seem to be coming undone, like with this coronavirus, everybody's fearful about what could happen. God's, God's sitting in heaven, he's got the whole thing held together. Now, it's not coming undone. He knows what he's doing. And I'm convinced that good will come out of it. I'm convinced that God knows exactly what he's doing. And we do not need to fear. We need to pray because prayer is the most powerful weapon we have. There's no more powerful weapon. Herod had this power of the sword, but the church had that. And I sometimes will, I think, do we really, really understand the power of prayer. Because if we did, we'd be on our knees far more. Because, yeah, it shows that I know that the, the church were devastated by the death of James. And there I must add just a little thought here as well. You know, sometimes things like the death of James happen. Sometimes things go wrong. But God was even in control of that situation. God knew that James's time was up. And even though James was taken by the power of the sword, God had allowed that to happen. God is sovereign. He's in control. And we can put our trust in him. That's the wonderful thing about the scriptures. We can put our absolute faith and control in him. Now, when it says here, the church was earnestly praying, that word used in the Greek is the same word that was used when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the kind of word, earnest, it's like when you hear that when you've received bad news, maybe you've got a terminal illness or somebody's passed away or some relationship is broken and you go to God in with that earnestness of prayer because everything seems to be coming undone. It was that kind of earnestness that the church were praying with, that that earnest praying where Jesus was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, the earnestness that Jesus, and that was the way the church was praying for the release of Peter, with that deep earnestness, oh God, do something in the midst of this, please reveal yourself, it's that earnestness, and you know, 
We pray even when we do not know what the outcome will be. I have to say, when my son lay in trauma ICU on life support, I did not know what the outcome would be. But I prayed with an earnestness I've never prayed with before. I prayed and prayed and prayed, believing that God was able to do something. And as long as he had air in his lungs, I was going to pray that God would do something. It's that kind of earnestness. To, oh, God, I'm going to hold on to you in the midst of this situation. I'm going to cling to you with everything I've got. And we pray even when we don't know what the outcome will be. You know why we also pray? We pray because we believe that God loves us. And he has the very best for us. That's why I pray. I pray because I know God loves me. And I know that he has a purpose for my life. And that's why we pray. And that's why the church prayed. And we also pray because we know that all things ultimately work together for good. We know that. We know that everything ultimately works together for good for those who love the Lord. Now, I can tell you honestly that in my life, things have not always gone right. I've served God for many years. I've served him, I believe, with faithfulness and clean hands. And sometimes things have gone wrong. Things have gone horribly wrong. And, and I've wondered, God, where are you in this situation? But as I step back now and I look at that situation, I think you were there all the time. You were working out every little detail all the time. And that's why we pray. Because when we're in the middle of the situation, you, you know, sometimes everything looks hazy. It looks really, really hazy. But God is working. And you have just got to trust that the weapon of prayer will do its work. And that God will eventually bring his purpose through. So prayer is one of the most powerful weapons that we have. I've, I, I, can't, I was in Jordan um, a number of months ago. In, um, we had a student team there. And I met in this wonderful church we were in, I met lots of uh, Muslim people who had found the Lord. And some of their stories were utterly amazing, utterly amazing. And the church began to pray that God would start sending Muslim people to them and, and that they would come to know Jesus. And I was sitting next to a lady in a ladies' meeting, and she told me how her marriage, she was a Muslim lady, she wore the full garb, you know, you only saw her little eyes, and, um, and her marriage had fallen apart, her husband had taken her son from her, then she found out she had a terminal illness, and one day she said, I don't know who you are, God. The, the, there's the Jewish uh, people who say that, Jesus was never born. There's us who, who, who believe that you're Allah, and there's the Christians who say their God is the only God. I don't know who you are, God. And then she got this terminal illness, and she had to go in one of those CAT scans, and she got into the CAT scan, and it got stuck. It got stuck. Oh, I can't imagine that feeling. You know, you, you can't move. You just can't move. In. She was stuck in there for two hours. I said, how did you handle it? She said, the most beautiful two hours of my entire life, I saw Jesus above me in that CAT scan. 
and he revealed himself to her and he said, I'm the God you've been longing for. And from that moment, her life was completely turned around. The church got praying about the people in their community and God, and that was only one of countless stories we were hearing of all these amazing things because the church knew the power of prayer. The power of prayer, amazing. Let me tell you another thing of, that I, I see in this text when we read it, is that peace is the result of earnest prayer. Peace is the result of earnest prayer. Now, when Peter was in prison, Herod knew that he'd already escaped prison once. He'd been in prison in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. He'd escaped, and now Herod was totally and absolutely determined that Peter would not escape. So there were 16 soldiers guarding him. He was chained to two. Two stood at the door, and all the others were all around. I mean, that was maximum security, right? I mean, there was no way Peter was going to escape from prison. Herod was going to make sure of that. He wants to ensure. But what got me when I read this text is it says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, for him to be executed, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. How do you sleep on the night before your execution? I mean, hello, you're going to be executed. And he's sleeping like a baby. He's, he's chained to two soldiers, but he's sleeping. He's probably on a cold uh, concrete floor, it's not comfortable, but he's sleeping because the peace of God that passes all understanding was keeping Peter. And ladies, I just want to say, there are most likely many of you that are dealing with situations that seem tenuous, difficult, challenging, concerning, and maybe fear has filled your heart. I want to say, let the peace of God that passes all understanding fill your hearts and minds tonight. Believe in the power of prayer. Believe that God is listening to you. Do you remember another time where Peter was sleeping in the garden? He was sleeping because of his weakness of faith. He couldn't handle staying awake with Jesus. Now he's come all those experiences later and he's sleeping because of the strength of his faith and that's where God wants us to get to in our, our, our Christian walk with him where we have that such an intimate and personal relationship with him where in the midst of those difficult situations you hand it over to Jesus and you leave it there now I think sometimes Corrie Ten Boone used to say you know, you come to Jesus and um, you, 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 get, you give him all your burdens. It's like unpacking your, your handbag. You take it out and you, put, and you go, there, Lord, there's my worry, there's my kids, there's my this, there's my finance. And you put it all out and then you say, in Jesus' name, amen. And then you pick it up and you put it all back in your basket. <laughs> Don't we do that? 
I mean, don't we do that? I mean, I've done that. How many times I say, oh, Jesus, I'm trusting you in Jesus' name. <gasps> oh, God, how are you going to do this, you know? And the funny thing is, I often suggest to Jesus what he should do. And he never takes my suggestions. I mean, I often think my suggestions are utterly brilliant. Okay, God, this guy needs to get saved. This is how you can do it. And I, I give the Lord all the, you know, the plans, and God never listens to my ideas at all because God is infinitely cleverer than I am. And he knows the end from the beginning. And God knows what he can and what he can't do. And I've just got to let his peace. And I have to work at this daily as well. I don't, I don't want you to think I'm the, you know, because I'm talking to you that I don't ever feel fear, fear because I do. When my son lay in hospital, there were times I experienced fear. I didn't want him to die. I knew what fear was. But we've got to hand those things to Jesus and say, God, I've, I've, I've left this at your feet and I'm going to trust you now. I'm going to trust you and believe that you are able. Peace is the result of earnest prayer. <clears throat> you know, I love the story of Elizabeth Fry. You know Elizabeth Fry, the, um, the great socialist um, born here in the UK. And um, she tells the story of how so many hundreds of years ago, um, everybody on a, a day off, I believe it was a Sunday, used to go down to the prison and sit on the grass and the prisoners would come out for a while in, in the and they would watch the prisoners and it used to be fun to watch the prisoners who some of them were demented and pull out each other's hair and box and fight and, 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 just, and they would sit there and picnic and watch these prisoners and it was entertainment for them. And Elizabeth Fry was a, a Quaker woman that, from a very, very wealthy family. And, you know, the, those were the days where they used to drink tea and fan themselves, you know, and, you know, faint. I think it was cool to faint. So, you know, they'd, oh, you know, and then someone would put smelling salts under their nose and they'd come round. And so I think one day she said, I've had enough fainting fits. What's my life really all about? And she'd seen the woman at the prison. And God said, I want you to do something about that. And she prayed about it. And God said to go into the prison. So she went down to the prison. And she said to the warden, I'm here to see the prisoners. And the warden said, Miss Fry, everybody knew the family. You can't, you can't the woman will kill you. She said, open the doors. The peace God gives you when you know you're doing what he's called you to do. Open them. Mrs. Fry, I can't let you go through those doors. And she said, open those doors. And he opened. And as he opened them, the screeching suddenly stopped as she walked through. And she walked through and she just touched women in there. Some of them had never felt the kindness of a human touch. They'd only known cruelty and harshness, but they felt her, the warmth of her hand and her love. And you know that she reformed the entire prison um, communities right throughout the UK, Russia, France, 
Six months later, they said when you went into that prison, the women were singing hymns and doing needlework. The putrid smell had gone. The screeching had gone. Because Jesus had come in and changed their lives. That's what happens when people pray. That's what happens when people know what they are meant to do. And the peace of God floods their hearts. And they're able to do what God has called them to do. Even though, from a world's perspective, it looks like it's impossible. God will make a way and open a door for you. I see something else here. I see here that God's plan always surprises. I mean, who would ever have thought? Who would ever have thought that God would do what he did? And that's what I say, you know. So often we, we work out in our minds how God's going to figure it out. And that's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Don't lean to your own understanding because that's just human. I mean, it's human to go there in your mind, but you've got to know that God is going to do something that's way bigger than you can ever imagine way bigger than you can imagine and God's will and his way will always surprise I mean I can just imagine Peter there he's just I'd love to be a Hollywood director because I think this would make a marvelous movie you know an angel coming in releasing Peter and Peter wakes up and he he doesn't know where he is he doesn't know what's happening he's suddenly free and then I mean it's just the most amazing story. And here's the story. It's an incredible story. Doors, are gay, bars, uh, city gates open, and he walks through those city gates. He gets through the city gates, but he can't get into a prayer meeting. He knocks on the door. And, I mean, it's an, uh, an amazing story because he can get into anything, but he can't get into his own prayer meeting. And that's what often happens. Don't, aren't we often surprised at what God does? It says, you know, Rhoda comes to the door. She gets to the door and she says, Peter, she runs in. They say, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. Can you see the picture? Oh, God, release him, release him, release him. He's at the door, he's at the door. You're out of your mind. Oh, God, please release him, release him. He's at the door, he's at the door. Must be his ghost. Now he's now in their mind he's already dead. Oh, Jesus, release him. And he comes in and oh, God answered our prayers. Aren't we sometimes like that? Oh, so shocked that God answered our prayers. Because we we God always surprises us. He never ever does things the way that we anticipate. His ways will always surprise you. Be expected to be surprised at the way God answers your prayers because God is an incredible prayer answering God. Yeah, I, love, I love this little story about how God surprised a pastor. <clears throat> there was a pastor in Cape Town that was praying for the woman of the city and in the red light district. And he had this burden for prostitutes and he kept going to the woman in the church and saying, won't you go into the red light? Won't you? Just go and minister to the woman. And none of the women ever took up on it. 
And one day he was at his bed praying and God suddenly gave him an idea. And he thought, this is radical. So he went and he told his wife. She said, oh, that's radical. You better go and tell the pastor. So he went to the pastor, told the pastor. The pastor went, oh, that's radical. You better tell your wife. Well, he had all grounds covered, so he knew it was okay. So this is what he did. He went and he emptied his bank account out. He got all the money and then dressed in his suit, he went and got the church bus. So you can imagine, let's say, new life written all over the church bus. And he went into the red light district and he went up to the first woman on the street. He said, how much for four hours? She said, whatever it was. He said, see that bus there? Go get on the bus. He went to the next woman. He said, how much for four hours? She told him. He said, see that bus there? Get on the bus. And after 14 women were on the bus, he'd run out of money. But by now, can you imagine, the people in Cape Town were gathered around the bus, looking at this man dressed in a suit, driving a church bus, and he's got 14 women on the bus. They just don't even know what's going on. They think, the pervert. <laughs> any rate, he says to the ladies, ladies, I'm taking you to church. Now, here's the amazing thing. There was a pastor from Australia, and he was invited to preach at a conference. And on the way to the conference, he looks at his wife, he says, it's a pastor's conference. He says, God's told me I've got to preach salvation. She said, well, you better listen to the Lord. He said, yeah, but it's a pastor's conference. She said, maybe some of them need Jesus. I don't know. She said, you better do what Jesus told you to do. So I said, okay. Well, this pastor gets all the women on the bus, and there's only one church service happening that night. It's a pastor's conference. So he takes the woman to the pastor's conference. And the pastor, an Australian, who knows absolutely nothing about this other pastor who's gone and got 14 women from the red light district, <clears throat> he begins to preach. He gives an altar call, and suddenly 14 people with fishnet stockings, they don't look like pastor's wives, <laughs> they all respond to the altar call, and they all give their hearts to Jesus. The amazing thing is, he said, when he visited two years later, all those women were serving Jesus and winning people to Jesus. What an amazing thing. God loves to surprise us in the way he does things. God loves to do things outside of our own, you know, imaginations. That's why trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Let me share something else from the scripture. Listen carefully now, because what I'm saying might sound a bit confusing. Believing and trusting are not the same thing. Believing and trusting are not the same thing. So, let me share a little illustration that might help you to understand why I say that to believe and to trust aren't necessarily the same thing. 
there's a man by the name of Charles Blondin, and he was an acrobat, and he used to walk a thousand foot rope 160 feet above Niagara Falls. But then he got really clever and he started to walk it on stilts. Then he walked blindfolded and then he walked carrying a wheelbarrow over the, the, the Niagara Falls. It was an amazing feat. And one day, um, the Duke of Newcastle and his family came to see this, this incredible Charles Blondin acrobat and uh, they watched him and he, he was walking up and down on stilts. Then he blindfolded himself and cooked an egg in the middle of the, uh, and ate it. I mean, some people have got nothing better to do, obviously. Um, and then he came back to the, the Duke and he said to the Duke, do you believe that I could wheel a person in the wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls? Well, the Duke had seen what he'd done, so he said, I do believe. He said, well, would you like me to wheel you across the Niagara Falls? The Duke declined. He believed. He believed that he could do it, but he didn't trust that he could put his life into the, the, that man's hands and get in the wheelbarrow. And you know, I think some of us sometimes are the same just like the early church, we believe with all of our hearts that God can do stuff because we've seen it. We've seen God. We've read the stories in the Bible. We've heard wonderful, a beautiful testimony tonight of what God can do, how God can work in a life. What an amazing testimony. We see, we be, but sometimes we don't believe, we don't trust that our lives are safe in God's hands. In other words, I believe you can wheel that wheelbarrow across there, God, but I'm, I just, I'm not prepared to get in the wheelbarrow. And God says, you need to get in the wheelbarrow and believe that when you're in my hands, you're safe. Sometimes we want to jump out of that wheelbarrow and take control of the wheelbarrow ourselves because we think, what God is doing isn't quite right. It's not the direction I want you to go, Lord. So we want to jump out and take control. But really, trusting is more than believing. It's believing with all of my heart that I can trust my life into the hands of my faithful God and believe that my life will be okay in his hands. That's what it means to truly, truly believe. And um, I really think that we've got to get to that place in our lives. And I think that the early church probably, you know, the wonderful thing about the early church is that for them, suffering was not a foreign concept. For them, suffering was par for the course. If you read right through the book of Acts, there were, there were joyous times, but there were also times of hardship and suffering. And part of it was, was in, this book of, in the book of Acts. And I think sometimes in the West, we, whenever our world is shaken a little bit, it's, oh, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? But for the, for the people in the book of Acts, for the early church, it was, this is part of, this is part of the journey. 
And if we believe and ascribe to a Pauline theology, then we ascribe to a theology of suffering, that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It comes in different ways. It might not mean being put in prison. It might be other things. But, you know, it's not always a smooth road. And when the road gets bumpy, to believe that God is with you, that he will see you through, and that you can believe in his promises. Yeah, I once read a, a wonderful little quote by Ruth Graham where she was at one particular stage truly, truly, deeply praying for her son, um, Franklin Graham, because he was off with one of his friends and they were living in, in, in the days where it was they were wild and on drugs and they were off on a motorbike somewhere and she was lying in bed and she was saying, oh, oh, I don't know, I can't handle this anymore. It, I'm, I'm just, and God suddenly said to her, Ruth, are you going to concentrate on the promise or on the problem? And I think sometimes we focus on the problem instead of focusing on the promise. Believing and trusting, focus on the promise not on the problem. The final thing I want to say about this text is that no human can thwart the plan of God. No human. Did you see how this chapter started out? It starts with James dead. Peter is in prison. Herod is in triumph. It ends with Herod dead, Peter out of prison, and the word of God triumphing. Herod thought he had all power, but what he didn't realize was that God was infinitely more powerful than he was. And although he had the power of the sword, and he thought he could yield it whenever he wanted, wield it whenever he wanted. The church had the power of prayer. No human can thwart the plan of God. I sometimes think we give humans this, this awesome power. We say we ascribe greatness to humans that, that they don't have. And we forget the power that we have because we are God's children. And that's the kind of power that Elizabeth Fry had that day. That, 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 that confidence, this is where I'm going because God has told me. So the door was shut. The warden didn't want to let her in. Everything was closed, but God had told her. And she said, open that door, I'm going in. And when she went in, she went in in the presence and the, the confidence that God gave her and, she, and it opened doors. Friends, I want to tell you right now, when we walk in that confidence, chains fall off, doors open, prison bars open, 
gates open. God begins to do amazing things because no human can thwart the plan of God. And that's what we've got to understand as his people, as his children. Nobody can thwart the plan of God. You think, oh, this person's going to end my, my career. Or, or this person has ended this for me. Or this went wrong and it's his fault or her fault. God is bigger than him or her. God is bigger than any circumstance. He is God. He can do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. And at the beginning of your story, it may look as if Herod is triumphing. It may look as if Peter is in prison. It may look as if James is dead. But God can turn that all around and Herod is dead and Peter's out of prison. And the church of God is triumphing and growing. And that's because no human can ever thwart the plan of God. So tonight, if you're thinking, Man, everything's looking negative for me. This person's got in the way. They've messed up the plan of God for my life. I've sometimes thought that. I've thought, oh, this person's messed up God's plan for my life. God says to me, why are you giving them so much power? I'm much bigger than them. Much bigger than them believe in him be willing to get in that wheelbarrow and say God I trust my life in your hands start believing the prayers that you pray don't pray those prayers and think nothing good will ever come or pray them out of repetition because you've prayed them for so long get that fresh faith in your heart that trust and say, God, I'm going to believe you for this. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on with all that I have. It's an amazing story. What I love about it is we've all got our stories. And our stories are as important to God as the story was. Your story right now is as important to God as the story was. He wants to intervene in your story. And you know what? One day your story is going to live in the lives of others. They're watching how you run your race. The Bible says we run the race marked out for us. Don't try and run somebody else's race. Run your race. The race God marked out for you. Don't look around you and see how other people, we heard that this evening. You don't know the shoes they walk in. You don't know where they've walked, where they've been, the hurt, the pain. It looks like their race is easier than yours, but actually you have no idea about their race. Because God will grace you for your race, not somebody else's race. Right now, God wants to give you grace to run your race and to finish your race. Put your trust in Him. Believe that He has your story in His hands and that your story is going to end in a very beautiful way. Let's pray. That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. 
For any more information, visit bravechurch.co.uk.